Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. Communication as entrepreneurs is an one of the ultimate things that we have to do, whether we're communicating through advertising, whether we're communicating through teaching or speaking, whether we're communicating in the written word, we need to make sure that we communicate our message clearly and properly so people hear it. And those are our clients. Those are our prospects. Those are the people that we work with. If we have a muddled message, our clients aren't going to get the benefit. Our clients may not buy. Our clients may not be able to resonate with us. So we're going to discuss how do you do that? How do you think about it? How do you communicate properly to make sure everything you do is impactful, whether it's a podcast like this or a phone call or a presentation on stage? This is Adam Kipnis, host of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Appreciate you listening today. I want to thank C-Suite Radio for being our platform where we can disseminate this around the world and everyone can listen. They are a great partner for me. And today's guest is a speaker, a coach, a communicator, a impactful teacher for her clients. She's been doing this for a number of years, has a really interesting background on how she got to where she is. Susan Heaton Wright, thank you for being on here and, and helping me uh, put some of this out to the world. Thank you so much for inviting me, Adam. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm very, I'm very excited too. And, you know, being impactful, being a good communicator is so important, yet a lot of us don't know what it sounds like on the other end. So it's great to have someone like you to help coach us through that because sometimes we think we're doing it right, but our message isn't hitting. How did you learn this? How did this become part of your life and how did it lead to a business? Do you know, that's a really interesting question because as a schoolgirl, I was very quiet. Um, if, I, if I'm honest, and this isn't a, a, psycho, a psychological um, interview, but I was told to keep quiet and be quiet, not speak up at home. And that was valued. And yet that meant that I was becoming invisible at school and a lacking confidence because I wasn't being my authentic self. But it was only later on, really, when I went to music college that I started to discover some of the things that are essential to make an impact to develop confidence, to have presence, and to really be able to communicate with your audience. And you went, you went to, music, to music school, you um, were an opera singer. That's, That's something, you, you need to be front and center for that. Where did that transition happen for you where you were comfortable being front and center after being, as you said, invisible in the background during some of your growing up life? Do you know, it's you know, all of these things, it's so interesting to look back because I do remember being five years old in a massive church singing a solo in, in a nativity play. And instead of my parents and grandparents saying, oh, well done, they said, why did you look around afterwards? as a five-year-old and people were coming up saying how wonderful that was. So I really learned in that way not to show off 
and that I wasn't good enough. But for some reason, when I went on stage and I really knew my stuff, I would manage to get into my zone of excellence, what I call my zone of excellence, and everything was right. And I just felt comfortable there. And I'm sure that it's because I gave myself permission to do that without showing off. That's interesting because as, as a singer, you have an, an innate talent, right? Yes, people can learn to be better and can have coaching to, to be better, but it's an innate talent. Do you see people have that same presentation talent that is just within them? They just didn't know it? Absolutely. There are some people that have just got it, haven't they? They've got that presence, um, not by showing off, but just by being. You notice them, you notice the energy, and um, you're drawn to them. Through school and, and being a professional singer, was there, was there always an itch or always an inkling of a, a business mind behind you? Or is that something that you developed later in life? I don't come from an entrepreneurial family. So in fact, my, my family are from the, in the medical profession or the teaching profession. So I'm a first, but four generations back, there was another musician who was also an entrepreneur, interestingly enough. But I think that I was always slightly cautious when I was a musician. I always made sure that I had other income streams coming in. So I also built up a singing teaching practice, which was very successful. And I always knew that I had that income coming in. Was that needs based or was that desire based or both? Both really, because, um, as a singer, as a musician, it's very seasonal, very up and down. And so you, you need to have other streams in um, to make sure you don't worry so that you can be the best you can be. I love that. Uh, and as you continue to go through your singing career, you were, you were coaching other people. Did, did you always have your own speaker coach? Was that something that you developed because you already had that in your life? Or did you just go out and sing? Were you self-taught? How did, tell us a little bit about that process. Well, um, I didn't go to music college as an undergraduate. So I didn't go to what you would call school after you know, high school. I went to university and studied something completely different, geography. And I really wanted to be an explorer. I wanted to see the world. And my plan was to go to different countries teaching. And I, I did accomplish that, but unfortunately was involved in a very serious car accident in Kenya. And I was the only survivor. I'm very, 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 very lucky that, you know, I, I'm here, but I had extensive life-changing injuries. So came back to the United Kingdom. It was only a couple of years later that I went along for an audition to be in one of these big choirs in London and you had to audition and I'd never done solos before and the conductor who's now a worldwide known conductor stopped me and said Susan you're singing out of the 
you're not singing the right vocal range, but you've got an incredible natural voice. I really think you need to get it trained professionally and possibly think of going to music college. And eventually I did go to music college and I got scholarships for it and just grabbed every opportunity. That's fantastic. I'm sorry, obviously, about what led to that, but it yeah. turned out to be something very beneficial in your life. And as, as you, what, what made you transition away from a, a professional singing career? You, you were well on your way to that being probably a well-paying and full-time career, although, as you said, yeah. a bit bumpy. What, what made you transition away and look at different avenues for how you were going to deliver your message? Right. Um, I'm sure that um, any mothers that are listening to this podcast will, it, it will resonate with them. I found it very difficult combining motherhood with being a singer. As a singer, you, you're an athlete. You have to have your mindset. You have to be physically on top form and really know your stuff. And I did a couple of things and I felt that I was compromising. I just didn't feel that I was in top form. And in the end, I decided to, um, to retire as a singer, which at the time was really, really tough. But it was the right thing for me and my family. But um, when my son went to school, I was meeting people that were not from the music industry. So they were professionals, whether they were lawyers, accountants, um, HR directors, all, all sorts of things like that. And they kept asking me, how is it that you can project your voice? How is it that you always look so relaxed when you speak? How is it that you've got real presence when you walk in a room? And eventually I realized that there was a possibility of a business. So initially what I did was to um, work with teachers and lecturers, basically because I'd been a teacher for a couple of years before and it was familiar and it was on vocal health and presence. But I realized that there was um, a bigger market and a market that possibly had a bit more money, dare I say it, because <laughs> certainly in the United Kingdom, there is not much money in education. <clears throat> So I created my, I, I looked at what was essential to being a great communicator and I came up with five key skills that I believe are essential and they all merge into each other. Sometimes there are things that people naturally are brilliant at, but it might be that one of the other skills they need a little bit of support with so that they can develop those skills. And so the, the model that I, a methodology that I created is called the Superstar Communicator. And the five skill areas are audience, so really understanding your audience so you can engage. Content, creating content so that it really lands well with your audience. Thinking of stories, thinking of a great start, thinking of a great call to action, for example, keeping things brief, um, preparation. And that includes managing your fear in with that, managing your nerves. How do you prepare yourself physically and mentally so that you're going to do a really good performance, whether that's in a meeting, presentation, pitch, all of those things. Then the actual performance side 
which I include body language in that and the impact that you make when you're speaking. And the last one is the voice. Now, that's not singing. Um, that is about making sure that the way you speak is clear so that other people can really engage with you. That's wonderful. And that's so important, not only in the spoken word or in the presentation, but also in the, in the written word. How do, how do people or how do you help people communicate through writing so it sounds like them as if they're speaking? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting one. It's not an area that I'm currently focused on. However, never say never. I would not be at all surprised if in a couple of years time I have on board a specialist in written word. But if you start listening to yourself when you're speaking to other people, you will become aware of the type of language, the type of vocabulary that you use. And that is the same when it's the spoken word to the, to the written word. And then you're finding your own written voice. Interesting. Now you mentioned as you were talking that when people noticed your presence and, and, and heard you speak, not in from a stage, but just in, in general communication, general meet, meeting with people, you said you saw that there was a business in that. Tell me about your thinking in, in the business. I mean, were you looking for a business? At that point, you were retired from singing. What were you looking for a business or did your mind just go there? How did that all happen where you said, oh, there might be a business here? My, my mind went there because remember at the time I was still doing my singing teaching. Um, I'd got my singing teaching practice. But I, I think in the back of my mind, I knew I didn't want to do that for another 30 odd years with respect to my pupils whom I, I adored, but I felt that I needed a new challenge. And you definitely took one on. We're talking with Susan Heaton Wright on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast with Adam Kipnis. When, you, when that new challenge came, did, you said you, were, you thought there might be a business. How did, it, how did the business form? Like, was it one client at a time or did you sit down and say, I'm going to the masses? Tell us a little bit about that personal transformation. I went one-to-one -one really and trying to get workshops. I didn't go full out until my son left home 18 months ago. Um, again, parents, I'm sure that you will resonate with this. When you've got a kid who's got special needs, he's dyslexic, slightly more support is required. And I was fully committed to being a mother as well, but wanted to have a business on the side. So for those years, there was an element of it being a lifestyle business, although it did very well. But in the last 18 months, 20 months, I've been able to devote significantly more time on it to really build it. And, and you've worked with, as you said, one-on-one -on -one clients, but you've also worked with some of our world's largest corporations. How, yes. do you, how do you balance the two? I just think of people as individuals. Um, I'm sure if I was um, coaching um, 
one of the Trumps, for example, I would consider them and respect them in exactly the same way as uh, an entrepreneur who had really saved up their money to pay for work to work with me. That's wonderful because people are people, right? It's one of the hardest things to, to really wrap your arms around when you're making a presentation to, a, you know, a, a large bank or a large software company. And you can go to Susan's LinkedIn and see some of the companies that she's worked with. But the person you're presenting to is not the company. The person you're presenting to is a person who has wants and needs and their own um, wins and results that they want personally. When you're giving a presentation, whether it's a sales presentation for you to come in and, and speak or you to come in and coach, how do you, or I guess better, how should we all be thinking about presenting to our audience of one or our audience of a hundred? How do we, how do we, I guess what skills should we be thinking about or what, what should we be thinking about when we're doing a one-on-one -on -one presentation or a large presentation? How do we think about the audience? That was a really long winded question, <laughs> but hopefully you got the point. Yeah, absolutely. This, this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is what I do a lot with people, letting them discover what it is that their audience needs and wants. It might not be, they might have a message that an audience might not want to hear, which is, is a completely different thing, but um, what's in it for the audience? What are their fears? What are are they interested in? What do they need from you? Um, what's the mix of clients, mix of audience? Are they all very young? Um, are they older? Are they male, female? Do they speak English as their native tongue? Um, is English their third language and therefore you perhaps need to modify the vocabulary that you're using so that it's more straightforward? Um, thinking about things like that. So if I were pitching to a company, I will spend some time actually having a telephone call or um, a Zoom call Skype to discuss the pitch, what it is that they're looking for, what are their challenges at the moment, how could I help them? And then from that, I create the pitch. Interesting. And what people say about some of the best speakers in the world is they, the audience feels like the person is talking directly to them. And when yeah. you're speaking to a group, whether it's five people or a thousand people, to be able to, for people to feel like it was crafted for them is, yeah. is, is an art. It's a skill. Is, yes. I, we can't, we can't cover how you do that in, in a podcast, but, but what are some of the things, you know, one or two tips that people can think about or look for in how to make that happen? Using examples that really resonate with them. So for example, um, a couple of years ago, I attended an event and there was a lady from the United States who came and did a five minute pitch and she used the example of baseball. And this was mainly to a female audience who were English. And she was a lovely lady, but of course, we hadn't a clue 
about baseball and the people she was talking about and the particular tricks and skills within the baseball game. So she lost us and it was such a shame because actually her message was really strong. And that's an example of not engaging with your audience. So if you really understand the makeup of them and what might be of interest to them, then that is a great way to, you've won, you're more likely to have won your audience. But using stories um, as examples, really short ones, to because our brains are, are wired up so that we will remember emotion. So if we remember a story and the emotion that that conjured up in our brains, we are likely to remember that. And using that or a case study can help people to really remember what you've said. Likewise, instead of saying I, say we or you, so that you're bringing in the audience so that they feel part of the presentation. I love that. And that's so easy to do. Just changing one or two words here and there can really change the, the message. When you're communicating with people, it's always very easy to communicate our knowledge rather than engage the person on the other end. How have you learned to become an expert in engaging the other person versus just talking to the other person, whether it's an audience or whether it's in conversation? One of the most important things about communication is listening. And I know a lot of people say that you've got two ears and one mouth, but if you can really listen to the other person, you can pick up a lot of things because it might be, if, you, if you're coming out with your sales spiel, it might be that it's not landing with them because it's not right for them. But if you ask them questions, then you can find out information from that and modify what you're saying so that it really resonates to them. That's perfect. That's perfect. And right now, if you're listening to this right now in uh, April of 2020, we're in the middle of the, the COVID pandemic. And if you're listening to it two years from now, then you obviously remember what it was like where we are. But people right now have to make a transition in their communication because, uh, you know, I speak from stages, you speak from stages. Uh, I do a, a lot of face-to-face -face networking. I meet a lot of my personal clients face-to-face. -face. We're not in that world anymore. What are a couple of just ideas that you have that you're doing and that other people should do to translate their message into a zoom world versus a face-to-face -face world that's a really good question one of the differences between zoom and face-to-face -face is that with zoom there are loads of distractions <laughs> um, certainly as we speak in the united kingdom we're in lockdown i've got husband and son downstairs i've got my mobile phone um if I hadn't switched them off, I'd have emails pinging across this screen and it's very easy to be distracted. Also, it's quite exhausting focusing in on um, a screen the whole time, isn't it? Very much so. So, it, so if you are 
doing a um, having a conversation with somebody else via Zoom, try to limit the time um, so that you can so that there won't be fatigue. If you're doing a talk or um, a webinar or something, certainly what I am doing is to break it up. So making sure that it's really engaging, but to engage the audience, ask them questions, get them to do little exercises, keep everything moving. But again, to make sure that they know that it's going to be a limited time. Um, I'm sure my husband won't mind me saying this, but even before this crisis, he would do conference calls two, three hours. And people were just talking the whole time, losing track of time. He went off and had a shower in the middle of one of them and came back and they hadn't noticed he'd gone. <laughs> I don't recommend that for everybody, but obviously yeah, that, that points to the message, right? That Yes. I mean, switch off your screen, obviously. Um, the uh, screen wasn't in the bathroom, but, but even so, it just shows you that if you just it's becoming noise. It's not constructed in any way. You'd never run a meeting like that. No, definitely not. And, and this is switching topics a little bit, but along the same lines, I've heard from a number of people and I felt this myself. If you're going to a meeting and you're there face to face, um, especially in, in our world where we're bringing on clients and we're, we're coaching and we're training face to face is, personally engaging, yes. getting people on a webinar, getting people to jump on a Zoom can feel a bit more salesy in, in this environment. How, how have you managed that? So it's not like, hey, jump on a Zoom so I can sell, sell you something rather than yes. come to a room where I can train you. Tell me a little bit about how, how you, you manage the difference. Well, the webinars that I'm delivering are actually paid ones by a third party. So rather than individuals coming on to, um, to be trained and they pay a small amount of money. And yeah, I totally get the fact that these things happen and it's basically a sales pitch, which is not fair on people's time. Um, I think that trust and being warm and generous to me are incredibly important with webinars. When we're face to face, we've got eye contact, we can mirror body language, we can see the other person so we can build up trust. So we need to do things, um, you know, even more so when it's virtual. So making sure that we have the video on so they can see our face, for example, um, making sure that we keep double checking that they're okay are there any questions? Because I really value you being here. I want you to get the most out of it and reassuring them that it's proper training, not, not a sales pitch. I love that. And it just brought up something in my head for, for all of the listeners out there. Susan said something really important that um, having a paid presentation by a third party. And that could be in, in her world. Sometimes that's, that's corporations that are paying for their employees to be there. But as entrepreneurs, as business owners, there are trade groups in your industry. There are other groups 
that bring people together that you can present in front of. So that's just another way to think about how to get your message out there. Susan does it through corporate speaking, but the trade groups is something that we should all be thinking about. Um, well, I should add, as we're talking about April 2020, um, that there are a couple of trade organizations that I would be a speaker for within their circuit around the country. Now I'm delivering webinar versions. So I've been able to swap the, to a virtual world to be able to deliver that content. And, there's, and it's almost easier because people are at home, they don't have to go anywhere, they, and a lot of these industry organizations are trying to, to help their membership by bringing content. So by engaging with the ones that we're already a part of or by engaging in the community of the people we speak to, we can find opportunities to put ourselves out there a little bit, I bet. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and since we are talking about what's happening now, and I'm sure it's a model that will work in future, I have a, a, a feeling of paying forward. So I will always deliver a couple of webinars for free to business organizations that are very much part of my target. So for example, one I did last week was to women in law in the United Kingdom. We had a hoot. I like to hope that in a couple of years time, when things are different, that they will remember me and I will be engaging with them on another level. No, it's a, a great opportunity and, and love the conversation just in not only how you, you deliver what you deliver, but how you think about your audience and how people can, can really learn very quickly how to change their yeah. communication style. We've all had to do it in this environment and I think it will actually serve us well. It's weird how it happened, but it will serve us well going forward. And so yeah. the last question for me as we, as we wrap up yeah. is on you and finding your audience, whether it's the large corporations that you've had the opportunity to train and speak in front of, <clears throat> or whether it's a one-on-one -on -one person that you're meeting, how do you go about in this environment and the prior and the future to find clients? How, how do you get in front of the right people? Do you know, it's very varied. It can be anything as simple as somebody sending a podcast to a third party and that person contacts me to um, deliver a masterclass, which is what happened with Shell, which is um, a big multinational company. And that was literally what it was. Um, through to um, being known, people perhaps having heard me speak, um, referrals from other people, or even finding me on LinkedIn. That's awesome. I love it. And we've had, this is now our second great conversation. I, I appreciate you being on the show and, and thanks for speaking to the audience, just how they can be thinking about their communication and getting in front of people to, to better their businesses. Susan, I really appreciate your time. Oh, it's been absolutely fantastic. And thank you very much for having me and good luck, everybody. 
Yes, definitely. Good luck. Stay safe. And thanks for listening to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. I'm Adam Kipnis. Look forward to having you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.